0: I feel like I can rule the world, I know I could be what I want to, uh, I put my all in it like no days off, on the road, let's travel, never looking back.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of My First Million Best of the Week Edition. This is Ben Wilson, also known as Producer Ben, and this episode is some of the best clips from our episodes throughout this last week. Nothing new, just a short rapid fire recap of everything that went on. To start off with, we've got a clip about the billion dollar Bitcoin thieves, So Sean had written about this on Milk Road, his newsletter, which you should go subscribe to. It's really good. Uh, And he had the full backstory about these people who had stolen billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. And then strangely, Sam had actually met one of them. Um, It was a husband and wife team. And Sam had run into one of them at a party back in the day. And many of you pointed out that it seems like a strange coincidence that Sam also met Ross Albright, another billion-dollar criminal. And so is Sam actually a criminal mastermind? Is he a real-life Danny Ocean? I don't know, but enjoy this clip where Sam and Sean break down the story of the billion-dollar Bitcoin thieves. Uh, I don't even entirely understand what
2: happened, but I have a backstory if about you the read
3: people. Today's edition of the Milk Road, you will get the full backstory in ten bullet points. So here's what happened: 2016, this crypto exchange called Bitfinex got hacked, and at the time, I think like 120,000 Bitcoin got stolen. That was like 70 million dollars got stolen. And it was like it was bad. Uh, that was like a big hack. The price of Bitcoin that week dropped by forty percent. So it was like a it caused like this huge, uh, you know, like uh, a, a fear shock in the market. But the thing about Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is on a public ledger, right? Like it's a it's a public blockchain, so everybody could see the coins. So everybody saw, oh, the the coins are in this wallet, <laughs> and like, and so all the other exchanges were like, look, this is bad for the industry we will try to prevent, like if if that wallet tries to cash this out, we won't let them cash out uh, the money. So for many years, that money kind of just sat in those wallets or was moving in like really small, small transactions back and forth between like a a web of wallets. Clearly somebody was trying to like launder the money. Essentially they were trying. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secret's out. Service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. But but
2: how, how did he, how did they
3: even get it um, in the first place? So I don't know. I don't know what the exploit was that let them hack the accounts and they didn't hack all the accounts on Bitfinex. They actually just hacked like, some of the whale accounts. So they were able to take 120,000 Bitcoin from not all the accounts. And the funny thing is Bit- Bitfinex didn't have the money to like make those users whole. So what they did was they they reduced everybody on Bitfinex's balance by 33% or something to like balance it out. Some like, hor- like, imagine if your bank did that, that would be like insane. I'd be like, oh, they robbed that guy's vault and you're taking my money away to like, even it out for everybody? Like, no, thank you. Um, so anyways, it was bad. And there's a reason why Bitfinex is not like, you know, the biggest exchange now. Um, so anyways, that the money kind of sat there now fast forward five and a half years go by last week, people start to notice bigger transactions coming from the, uh, the Bitfinex hack wallets. Um, and so they like, there's these alerts on Twitter, like whale alert, whale alert. It's like the coins are moving. The coins are moving hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars of the coins are moving $10 million, whatever. And so, um, and so the fed go, or not the fed, sorry, department of justice goes, kicks down a door in New York into this, this, this husband and wife couple's house. And they look like, you know, you complete, like average Joe, clean cut. Like this is not like, you know, doesn't look like a grimy criminal mastermind operation. Uh, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. The funny bit about that. Uh, but basically they seize uh, like their computers. They, they find um, a bunch of burner cell phones. They find like a bag of like $50,000 of cash. They find a bunch of like the hardware wallets that had the bitcoins in them. And then they found like folders on their computer that were like fake passport ideas <laughs> and like <laughs> like places to go, places to run away. Like they found like folders that said that shit on their computers. And um and they seized three and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin because the price of Bitcoin's gone up so much. So that 70 million has become three and a half billion dollars worth. And so these guys were trying to launch they wow. they, they don't think these are the hackers. But they were trying to launder that money. They may have been the hackers. I don't know. They, that's not proven. But they were trying to launder the money. And the, the, the DOJ had been like, if you've seen that meme of Charlie from It's Always Sunny, where they had like the cork board. And he's like trying to like find the, find the the crime or solve the crime. That's what they had been doing because they had they had this web of all these wallets. And finally, they found that, oh, it's trying to cash out in this wallet owned by this guy, Ilya Dutch Liechtenstein or whatever.
2: But how? How did what? What type of idiot would use his? Well, name eventually in a you need to get like, the money out. And so up? the
3: problem is like they were trying to get the money out through like Walmart but yeah, but gift cards. It's... They were buying like five hundred dollar Walmart gift cards with Bitcoin. They were doing like PlayStation games. They were like tr- they were trying all these small things, but they could never move the bulk of the money. So if you want to move like in mass, you got to do something that ha- that lets you move size. And usually those could you buy an NFT and then uh, sell it?
2: No, well, you like eventually either, you need picture. to get
3: the money out of the wallet. That's the problem. So, so, so the problem, so in order to do that, there's like an off ramp, right? How do you get it into, you know, us dollars, for example, if that's what you wanted to do. Um, and, you know, he left it there for five and a half years and they were probably living off it and spending it in some ways, but like you wanted to actually like get a lot of it out and get, get it, uh, and remove the t- paper trail of the blockchain. You need to get it as an off ramp, but to get it as an off ramp, you have like a, um, you know your like these exchanges. They, they require you to upload your license and like they have laws they have to comply with called KYC, Know Your Customer. And so eventually they found that somehow the DOJ they didn't explain exactly, but they they identified that the money was moving towards a wallet that was owned by a known person. That's how they ended up finding these guys. Now the funny part is that's awesome. Right, go ahead. So that
2: well, so the I when I read about this, I was like, wait, that name sounds so familiar. Both their names sound familiar. So the guy, his name is Ilya, I-L-Y-A, I think. It was like a very like weird name. His last name is Lichtenstein. So he spoke at the first HustleCon. I never talked to him, but um, he had a company called MixRank, which was just a normal startup, went through YC, and he spoke at HustleCon. And then his girlfriend or wife, she was a copywriter. And I remember talking a little bit with her because she, her name's yep. Heather Morgan, I think. And she had a, um, a website all about yep. writing sales emails. Totally. Is like, that right? Do you remember before
3: her? before the hack. She had like they a red dress. Hacks. She had like a LinkedIn yes. post on like five hacks for your, your cover letter for your job interview. Like, you know, like that sort of thing. And so, yeah, she was doing that. She And so they, and, and the funny thing is like, the reason the internet kind of went crazy with it was because here you had two very unlikely characters. So um, we had a bunch of friends text us or text me because I was writing this this edition of The Milk Road. And I was like, um, anybody know this guy? And you you knew him, but some other people knew him. They're like, dude, you would never- Get vibes of like this guy might just go launder billions of dollars. It was like smart, like kind of no, quiet, what, like his guy, talk, like engineer type.
2: Uh, he like he like showed very little emotion. No, I did not think that this guy like yeah I, and had, and no. and then
3: her, she's like this like super strange Kanye West level weird, uh you know like person. She, she basically she had like an alter ego that was called Razzle Khan, and Razzle Khan was her rap name, and then she has like these super fucking cringy rap songs on youtube like dude okay i have you know i have uh, I, you know i think it'd be cool to be a rapper but if i hear myself there's no way i'm publishing that because it sounds so bad and so uh so- it's horrible
2: It it's so bad the the top comment was paris hilton i'm gonna prove to everyone that you can have uh that having money means you can rap good and then it said, Heather Morgan, hold my beer.
3: <laughs> I didn't even know. Paris Holt has like a rap song. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, there's just like, she's like one of the strangest characters. Like I watched, I, I went deep, dude, for this. I was writing this thing and I was like, oh, let me get some examples. And then I couldn't look away because like the, the train wreck. Dude, it's like weird. There's videos she's of her so uncomfortable. And like she, she like forced everybody to like, they built like this golden mini Taj Mahal that she sat in and then her bridesmaids lifted it up on her shoulder and brought her in. But even the the audience at her wedding is like uncomfortably clapping like offbeat because they're like, "Uh, is this a, is this normal?" There's like and there's like clearly only fourteen people in the room, and then she does a rap performance at the wedding that was like equally cringy, and she's just like humping the air, which oh is super weird. Um, to the guy,
2: Iliad. Iliad. Yeah, well he goes by what's his name? I guess, so. Dude, this freaking guy. Uh, I'm looking at these pictures. That's hilarious. This woman's really hard to look at. She is <laughs> she, just cringe she, city. That should have been her she, rap name,
3: cringe city. That would have been like, okay, I get it. You're going to be the cringiest. Cool. Um, that's like Henry Cejudo. The king of cringe. Uh, yeah, that's what she should have done. Like, It's it super strange. But um, but yeah, basically they recovered it. And so now what's going to happen? Anyway, it's just a bunch of interesting little bits to it. So the DOJ is going to give the money back to Bitfinex, it looks like. Bitfinex had, when they they launched their own token at one point in time called the Leo token that's like used in their, if you trade in their exchange, it'll give you a discount using the Leo token. So they had to put in a thing when they launched the Leo token, which was like, hey, if we ever recover anything from that hack, um we'll use eighty per, up to 80% of it to buy back and burn our Leo token, which will cause like the pri- you know Leo holders to benefit from if we ever recover from this. And so now they're going to get like three and a half billion dollars to buy back. So the price of Leo token, like, Shot up like whatever sixty percent in twenty four hours because people were like, "Oh wow, that's gonna be a lot." But they said we're not gonna just cause a bunch of sell pressure in the market. We're gonna do a controlled sale over like a multi year period, um, so that it's like scheduled and doesn't like affect the Bitcoin market or whatever. Um,
2: God, this is
1: such a good story. This would make this is yeah be exactly. Such that's what everyone movie. was
3: saying. Is like here comes you know incoming incoming Netflix stock.
1: All right, next up, we've got a story from Sean about a pitch meeting he was in and a very small and simple problem that he saw got solved. And this led him down this idea of what he calls paper cut companies. These are companies that solve pretty small and simple, but very annoying and persistent problems, and they can be extremely valuable. Check it out. So this founder
3: was pitching me his his company and uh, he was just like screen sharing, so he's showing me a product demo and it was like a, it's like a data analytics uh, tool. And he was like, yeah, so, like, check this out. If I go to Excel, and then he, like, he just opens up the browser. I never see this before. He goes, he just opened up the browser. He goes, sheets.new, and enter. And then he opened up a Google Sheet, like a blank spreadsheet. And I go, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa what's just, what was that? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'll tell you I'll show you later. Because <laughs> he, was, he was so annoyed with me just going on tangents about every random thing he was doing. Like, he wanted to show me his product. Not the fact that you could type sheets.new and save myself. Like, I fucking Google i Google Same. Google Drive then I get to drive Same. then I click new then I go down the menu then I find spreadsheet then I click new spreadsheet then I get to a sheet it's like this like annoying thing I do six times a day and um and so just seeing this was like well that's awesome and it reminded me that there's a whole company out there called go links have you ever heard of go links no what is that so so I saw this in a um, or when I was working at twitch the kind of like whoever the I don't even know his job title like VP of everything, the, the kind of that number two guy at Twitch. Um, my boss, this guy, Dan, he was like, he's like, God, we have so many documents in this company. And now I just have bookmarks and tabs just with like all these docs open at all times in this company. He's like, and if I ever want to look up like, oh, the annual plan, it takes me like five minutes every time I want to find it. He goes, I don't know why we don't just use Go Links. And what Go Links does is it lets you set up a thing that's like go.annual plan. Or like you know, you could just basically type in like a human readable link, and you could anchor it to any doc. And so let's say you know you that's anchored to the twenty twenty one doc. Oh now it's twenty twenty two. Cool. We just swap the link out. We just sorry. We we like we can still always type go slash, you know, uh, annual plan or go slash plan, and go slash plan will now take us to the twenty twenty two doc. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And I saw this and I was like, wow, this is actually so useful to just be able to quickly find and like revoke access properly to, to different documents. And so um, so um, I really like this. Most people haven't heard of this. And I think it's a very expensive tool. I think it's like a pretty like enterprise tool. I see at the top here, they raised a... 27 million $27 million series a okay so doing pretty well obviously so i think somebody could build this is like a very simple product i think somebody could build a go links for like the startup level world more I like got
2: you bro indie hackers I just, I just invested in one.
3: Oh really what is it
2: yes so i Not told you setup. about it too i swear i i told you about it uh oh, it's really? called yeah. nira and oh i'm in this too i'm in this too oh i i so that's the same thing, right?
3: So, no, Nira- so this is, this is slightly different. I don't think they do the the shortcuts to the links. Maybe this is a feature they should add what they're doing. What Nira is doing is we all, all companies have all these docs and then people get fired or they move teams or whatever, but people still have access. It's like, Oh yeah, I still got this link. It just opens up the, like the numbers for the for the company or like, yeah, this contractor we hired still has access to all of our files, but like, who the heck can go audit and keep up and scrub the access for this thing? That's like, it's like a very big problem. Like your company's most sensitive data is all in the cloud. And then the cloud like access is shared amongst like so many people and there's no central place to see who sees what. And so Nira's building that they're building the who has access to what. Yeah. But I think the link thing is a feature. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it is a feature. I'm saying, I think it's a, Feature that can be standalone because adopting something like Nero is like something that's going to go through my like, you know, chief security officer type of thing. Like this is going to go through our CIO or CSO. Whereas this go links thing is something that like, you know, me and my one person who I work with, like we're both just irritated with these super long, ugly Google, Google Docs links that like, um, you know, like we can't find anything. It takes forever to find Dude, they, stuff. They, they
2: they have a free plan.
3: Nero does. No. Go links. Oh, Go links does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I don't know what at what point they they do this, but I don't know why this is not more popular. This is like a like a real problem. And then this also just got me thinking, like, what else is like this? What what are the other problems that are like these? Like I call them paper cut companies. So, um, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. So like, what's a thing that's irritating, but you do it so often that it's just a constant paper cut that just annoys you. Screenshots is another one that like sharing screenshots was one that was a big paper cut. Uh, I invested in this company called Bubbles that tries to make that better. Loom Is it makes it better. I remember uh, Bubbles. Is it working? Uh, I don't know. I haven't caught up with them in a little while. I know it was working initially. They raised a bunch of money uh, from that, but I feel like it hasn't taken over like you know the Loom market yet, but maybe it's going into a different market. I'm not, Dude, the not screen, sure.
2: The 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 screenshot one's a good idea. Also, the copy and paste. The copy and paste, I've been thinking for years, how can I optimize a copy better and clipboard. paste? Better clipboard. Yes, a better clipboard. I've been thinking about that for a long time. Um it's been that's always an interesting thing to me is 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 the clipboard. That that's really intriguing. Yeah. But the, the the problem with these types of products is you have to truly be inventive. I don't particularly have that muscle to like be that creative. So people who invent things like this or like even like um what's that guy named Howie who's got the huge company AirTable. AirTable. Uh, Air Table. Air Table. uh creating something like Airtable, which is basically kind of like Excel, but different and better, or even creating like a Notion. I don't, like these people kind of are geniuses who can like come up with like these weird product features and like they just know that like if you hover your mouse over this, it needs to, like that. They're so complicated. They're so complicated. It's pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, they, um, they're um they big on details. And I'll tell you the the best thing I heard about details like this I'm, I'm not detail oriented like if if this camera showed my desk you would see like yeah I, i'm obviously not organized or detail oriented like everything is sloppy even my camera right now is actually slightly crooked but i just don't care i just don't care about details and pretty much anything i do so that's why and, you're talking with like your neck a little crickly. yeah that's it why i like normal. often do this <laughs> 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 i end every podcast with a crick um but you know, like I'm not a sweat the details person. But I remember the first time I used Slack. I used Slack really early on. It was like in beta. I should have invested in it. I just wasn't an investor back then. I didn't think about it that way. But I used it, and I remember the first thing, uh, one thing I did was I, I was telling our designer, "Hey, uh, yeah, here's the color for like our logo or whatever," uh, or they sent it to me, and they just sent the hex code. So like you know, hex, you know, like pound, cffr, you know, three seven three, and it just. it turned it into a small, tiny color swatch. And I remember thinking, why the fuck did they do that? Like what level of care went into caring that the hex code would just auto format with a little swatch next to it? That's what I mean. Nobody would do that unless you were like a real product designer who sweat the details, who used this product all the time and just dedicated yourself to like, anytime you could just scratch your own itch and irritate, you know, like remove one paper cut from your own user experience, you're going to do it. And so this is why also working on your own products, working on products that you wanna be the user of helps because you'll get so annoyed at the paper cuts, you'll just get rid of them yourself.
1: All right, next up, we've got a clip from Max Litvin, the founder of Grammarly. You might have Grammarly installed as a Chrome extension. If not, you really should install it. It's great and very helpful. I use it all the time. But what you might not know is that Grammarly, this Chrome extension is actually a $13 billion company. And on this clip, Sam talks to Max about how he knew this kind of random market could actually be a really big
2: opportunity. What were your goals early on, like when you started the business? You were like, man, I think this can make ten million dollars a year and provide a good lifestyle, or like, I think this could, <laughs> or was it like, I think this could be like a multi-billion-dollar thing? Like, what were your goals early on?
0: Um, I think we decided that it could be a multi-billion-dollar business. During our conversations with Brad, partially, uh, so kind of Alex and I, we, we we hoped that it could be. But then once we started talking with Brad about valuation plans and all that, um, when he was thinking about joining, then it became pretty clear that yes, there is a multi-billion-dollar market out there. Uh, are we gonna capture it or not? To be des- to be determined. But um, at that point. But uh, there is definitely an opportunity. So the size of the opportunity became clear fairly early. Um, but uh, past there, that that took years.
2: To what do. was the vision that made, or what, what did you see that made you feel that it could be a multi billion dollar opportunity? And what was the vision? And were there any was there any numbers that you saw early on that which said like, oh my gosh, there's something here.
0: Yeah so i think the breakthrough moment was when we saw that it is possible to help not just professional writers people who write for a living every day but also help casual writers or people who write as part of their job but or part of their life but not like a key part so writing is not their like main product they're no no like novelists or or researchers who are published and so on. So when we saw that it's possible to make a product that's useful for everybody else, uh, then it clicked. Uh, and the very simple formula. If you look at amount of time we spend communicating, and creating knowledge uh, as a humanity, as all people in the world, it is a huge percentage of our time. And it's increasing because we spend less time doing things with our hands. Manufacturing is being automated, it's not, like we were doing it manually anymore uh, as much. So if you take this time that we spend communicating and creating knowledge and make it even 1% more effective, the impact is in trillions, not not even billions. Uh, So can we do something that makes communication 1% more effective on average for everybody? That doesn't sound impossible. That sounds like something is doable. Uh, that's doable so so we decided. I had to- that
2: aim same insight except I did it in such a horrible worst way so basically um I learned how to be a copywriter so like I read books on copywriting and like on persuasive writing and my theory was like oh my gosh like with texting or like online dating I, I was single at the time and in 21 so it was all about like dating I'm like oh man, if I weren't learn how to write better in my messages to girls who I match with, like my life is going to be better. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I learn how to write better, I could sell more stuff. If I learn how to write better, I can make people feel emotions about like this cause that I want them. I'm like, just writing better, like it, it changes, it makes it life more practical, but also it, it uh, makes you think better. So like if you can, if you have an idea for something, and you're forced to write it out, you'll see all the holes in the idea, and you'll and you'll okay. force yourself to like lay it out. And so I was like, Oh, I'll teach people how to write better. And so I created a course on how to write better. Of course, like obviously creating a software product was out of my league, but like that was clearly the, the better move to do. But the same insight was like everything that we do is via a text, whether it's a text message or an email or a website. And even if it's via like the spoken word. I have to write that anyway, so like writing is like the the most important thing that you can master. I just wish I would have approached it in a software way as opposed to just selling a three hundred dollars course.
0: Yeah, software is more scalable. That's <laughs> that's true. And uh, and actually, what you said about writing, uh, it also applies to speech. Uh, we uh, when we do user research, we notice that um, people who use Grammarly repeatedly um, adopt. Patterns of communication, more effective patterns of communication, translated to uh, non-written communication as well. So, for example, if Gramley keeps suggesting that you don't use kind of a wordy or vague or weak sentence structures, you stop or reduce use of them in speech as well. So, I so kind of good habits rub off and and translate to other modes of communication.
1: So you- All right. Finally, we've got a clip from Sam and Sean. They were talking about whether the Olympics were a waste of time. Sean thinks that the olympics are a waste of time for many people and uh that's not what i'm going to post here but what this is is the discussion they had afterwards where sean talks about this idea of not accidentally over indexing on something that doesn't actually matter to you and i think it's a really valuable point and something important to consider let's give it a listen
3: i think that there's like uh you know like for example if my kid was like had the potential if you told me right now hey your kid has the potential to be the greatest you know like at uh um, the greatest third person in the bobsled in uh, in the country, but here's what you have to do: every day, every weekend, for the you know the the, the next 20 years of their life is going to go into optimizing their body and mind to be able to do this, which essentially yeah. is what goes into like becoming an Olympian, right? You're trying to become the best in the world at an arbitrary game that was made up, and you have to sacrifice a huge amount of your life and focus and attention and energy and talents you decide to invest into this and the thing you get out is character building life lessons um and I mean, the other can, thing you get down the boy is, scouts you know potentially a moment of fame when if you want if you actually did achieve the thing and you have the you know sort of the 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 knowing inside your heart that that this was this was good so like you know would i rather be you know steve prefontaine this you know this good looking mustached runner guy or would I rather have been Phil Knight? I'd rather be Phil Knight. I think actually he's the perfect example. What did Phil P- Fontaine get out of you know Nike? Nothing. And so well, he you actually know, uh, where's he now? Three, right? He,
2: he he died three years into founding the company from a drinking and driving accident. So yeah, oh, you're geez. you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay, <laughs> the joke's yeah, not so, so funny now.
2: <laughs> it didn't work out.
3: <laughs> Wait, so he was actually a co-founder of Nike or he just inspired them?
2: Um, he 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 was a he was in their crew and he was their first sponsored athlete and like their right. fifth or 10th employee or something like that. And um, if you ask Phil Knight, who, you know, what's who's Nike's mentor or sorry, who's right. Nike's mascot. They'll say it's Prefontaine.
3: Yeah. So anyways, my point is uh, I yeah. think that there's a lot of things that are fun and they're best done as hobbies versus trying to become the best in the world at it. Right. Uh, I can play, you know, call of duty and have a bunch of fr- fun with my friends Um, I can even play, you know, the competitive side of things just because I like to scratch that itch and I play a couple hours a week. But once I try to become the best in the world at it, the level of sort of sacrifice and over indexing on that thing. And hey, you could do it. You could over index on anything. You can try to become the fastest typer in the world. You could try to become the best photographer of brown leaves in the world. And, you know, like you could do all those things. So choose carefully. Choose which one you want, what you, what yeah, you really it, want to it, go into.
2: It's like people who dedicate their lives to be an average D3 basketball player. It's like, it could work. You could you could, you could, could go to the NBA, but like odds are the papers or the writings on the on the wall, like it, it's probably not going to happen. So maybe you should right. actually like study a real major instead of basket weaving or
3: communications. Right. And if you enjoy it, fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying every step of the way, fantastic. But a lot of things in my experience are most enjoyable when done as hobbies versus when done with the competitive pursuit of becoming the absolute best in the world at it are uh, the guy who used to work out of his, his dojo. He used to tell me that I was like, Oh yeah, I really like this. So I might start a business around it. He goes, Oh yeah. The, the, this Dave grows he goes, easiest way to fuck up a hobby is turn it into a job. And I remember yeah. just hearing that and being like, Well, huh, that's interesting. I actually never really thought about that. Yeah. Actually there are some things that are really fun as hobbies that become really unfun as jobs, right? It's like working at a Cinnabon. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, I love eating Cinnabon. Uh, working at a Cinnabon, smelling a Cinnabon, eating free Cinnabon anytime you want. Now it's not so fun.
1: All right. Uh, that does it. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.
0: I feel like I could rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, travel, never looking back.